the text for this morning's worship service is from Psalm 4, verse 4. In your anger do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And then after the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 69, stanza 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, and also teenagers, what are the kinds of things that are worrying you right now, that keep you awake? Does it ever happen to you that you cannot sleep at night? It happens to all of us, young and old. I think when you get older, it happens even more frequently. And then there are so many things that go through your mind, disturbing things, things that worry you. Perhaps the current economic situation keeps you awake. Or you are concerned about your relationship with loved ones. Or you are concerned about that others perceive you. It could be that you feel inadequate in front of others and you are anxious about it. Or you are concerned about your relationship with other people. And it's hard for you to shut down your mind, your thoughts, and to come to a peaceful state of mind. Life can be hard at times. Things happen that are outside of your control, and sometimes you are full of despair and misery and anger, perhaps, although you may not recognize it as such. You are dismayed because of the turn that your life has taken. Your stomach is tied into knots, and you toss and turn on your bed, looking for peace and rest, looking for peace of mind. Well, as far as that is concerned, there is nothing new under the sun. There are and have been many others like you. And that's also clear from the content of this psalm. This psalm was written by King David some 3,000 years ago. David writes in this psalm about his own distress and also about the distress of others. But this is not just a psalm of despair. It's not as if David does nothing but complain. It's not really a gloomy psalm. Quite the contrary. For David also writes about how to come to peace and how to find solace in the Lord. And David wants you to think. He wants you to put all things into perspective. He doesn't want you to be anxious or angry. But he wants you to put your worries aside. And he wants you to put your trust in the Lord. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. I proclaim to you God's word uh, summarized on the following theme. In your anger, do not sin and be silent. Realize in the first place how full of sin your anger is. And secondly, how full of awe you must be before God. So I'll state that again, in your, in your anger do not sin and be silent. Realize, first of all, how full of sin your anger is, and secondly, how full of awe you must be before God. As you read through Psalms 3 and 4, you will note that there is a similar threat running through both Psalms. 
for they're both psalms of distress. And in Psalm 3, David speaks about the distress caused by his son Absalom's treachery. He cries to the Lord to deliver him. But now some people say that Psalm 4 continues to speak about the distress caused by his enemies and that it continues that same theme. But is that true? Well, it is true that these psalms are closely related. And they are indeed both psalms of distress. And they both speak about how you are to respond in such a situation. In Psalm 3, verse 5 and 6, David says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. And the same thought you will find back in Psalm 4. David says in verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace. And so in that way, they are similar. He lies down and goes to sleep. He does not want to be laid awake because of the stress that he has. But now the question is, what is the distress in each psalm? In Psalm 3, it is clear that a distress is because of the treachery of Absalom. But in Psalm 4, the distress is something quite different. In Psalm 4, the cause of the distress is the material circumstances that the people find themselves in. The people of Israel had just received a financial setback. That is clear from what it says in verse 4. He says, in your anger, do not sin. And then in verse 5, they are told to put their trust in the Lord. Whom is he addressing here? His enemies? Not very likely. He would not say to his enemies that they are to trust in the Lord, for his enemies do not believe in God. They blaspheme him and ridicule his name. And so whom does he address? Well, he addresses his wayward brothers and sisters, his fellow covenant people. As is clear from the content of this psalm, something quite calamitous has befallen them. They've had some kind of disaster which caused them great turmoil. One commentator suggested that it might have been a disastrous crop failure. We don't know. Whatever it may have been, David does not tell us, and so we'll leave that be. But it is clear that the people are distressed because of unfavorable material financial circumstances. That's especially clear from the end of this psalm. In verse 6, David proclaims, many are asking, who can show us any good? And then he gives the response in verse 7. He says about the doings of the Lord, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. In other words, our joy is in the Lord. True joy is found in Him and not in an abundance of food and drink. And this becomes all the more clear when you take a close look at verse 2. The RSV speaks here about those who love feign words and who seek after lies. And from that way of phrasing it, you might think that he is speaking about his enemies. The NIV, however, speaks instead about delusions and false gods. And the King James Version speaks about vanity and leasing. 
Leasing is an archaic word which stands for falsehood. And those translations are closer to the original. David says in reality, How long will you love vain things and seek after idols? David is making a rebuke here against the love of material things. They have become the idols of the people. And that interpretation is in keeping with the rest of this psalm. And now you can understand the anger that David is speaking about in verse 4. For he says there that in your anger you should not sin. And then he is giving a warning about sin that accompanies our anger. He is warning against sinful anger, against unrighteous anger. What exactly does he mean with that? Well, sinful anger comes about when things do not go exactly the way that you expect, the way that you want. For what is our nature? It is man's tendency to want to plot his own course and not to put his trust in the Lord. Look at how that goes in our own lives. We plan and we chart our own course in life. We set up our business or acquire a job somewhere, and we work very hard. We provide for our families. We give to the church and to the poor. We pay for Christian education. We do all these things as much as we can in the service of the Lord. We ask God's blessing. And we do all these things to the best of our ability and to the honor and glory of God. But then something happens. For example, the bottom falls out of the market. Or the crops fail. Or we lose our job. Or we get sick and we can't work. Or a loved one dies unexpectedly. And then what is often our reaction? Well, we get angry. Oh, I don't necessarily mean that we then scream and yell. It's not likely to be something overt as that. Anger can manifest itself in many ways. When we are angry, we show that we are frustrated. We become frustrated when things do not go the way we planned. For we do not want our plans to be thwarted. We do not want anything or anyone to stand in our way. Look at the way we conduct ourselves, for example, when we unexpectedly encounter a traffic jam. We become annoyed, for that wasn't part of our plan. It makes us late for something important to us. We may be angry with ourselves in the first place for not leaving earlier or for not allowing for unexpected delays. Or we may be angry at those who caused the delay, at the one who caused the accident so that the traffic can no longer flow. Or at home, we may get angry when a child cries. For we want peace and quiet. We don't want our peace disturbed. We do not want to drop what we are doing and pay attention to someone else. And so we become frustrated, angry. And some people will get so angry that they will even become violent and take their frustrations out on others. Those are examples of sinful anger. And the specific kind of sinful anger David is speaking about here is the anger that comes when, for example, your plans are thwarted concerning your financial dealings. 
when your blessings are not accruing in the way that you expect. You have a setback. The bottom has fallen out of the market. There's a crop failure. Your business burned down. You lost your job. You get sick. And you're dismayed. And you're frustrated. And you wonder what you could have done to prevent it. You question your own abilities. And you become angry with yourself. And more often than not, you become angry at others. You look at how others might have been the cause of your misfortune. Or you compare your situation to that of another. How come that person has more than I? How come so-and-so did not have the same setback as I? Is he a better person than me? What makes him or her so special? How come, O Lord? That's also what David is speaking about in verse 2 of this psalm. For he says, How long, O man, will you turn my glory into shame? And David speaks about the riches and the lofty position that has been given to him by the Lord. Other people are jealous of him. And they despise him for his special position. They want what he has. And David refers here to the glory that he has received from the Lord. For the Lord had greatly honored him. He was made king in the land. And because of his position, he also had many material blessings. And so David realizes that his material blessings do not belong to him, but to God. But now other men are jealous of his position. And that's also the nature of us as sinful human beings, isn't it? Isn't that why we also devour one another? What was the sin of Cain when he slew his brother Abel? He was jealous of him. He thought that God treated his brother in a better way than he did him. He was angry at his brother for having something that he did not have. And so he slew him. Man is like a ravenous wolf. He is always hungry and on the prowl for more and more and more. He is never satisfied. Never satisfied with the things that this world has to offer him. And sin leaves him feeling empty, bereft of satisfaction. And there is a feeling of emptiness inside of him. And so he goes on a feeding frenzy to feel more important, to feel more prestigious than others. He goes looking out to satisfy his tremendous hunger for more. David says it best in Psalm 59, verse 14 and 15, where he compares unregenerate man to a dog. He says about them, they return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. And Isaiah also gives us to understand in poetic form the frantic activity of dissatisfied man. He says in Isaiah 8 verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. And the preacher also observes the jealous nature of man when he says in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4, And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. 
This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. That, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is the unrighteous anger of men. Ultimately, it is an anger directed at God. For although we may not dare use his name directly, we nevertheless curse him in our unrighteous anger. In effect, we dare to question his justice. We cry out to him, O Lord, why do you treat others better than me? Why, O Lord, do these calamities fall on me and not upon someone else? Why is it that I have more difficulties in life and not others? O Lord, why is it that in spite of the fact that I want to serve you, you treat me in this way? Where is your justice, O God? And then David says to the people who are so full of anger and resentment, when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Search your hearts. That's another way of, th- of saying, think. Think before you speak. Think before you utter such things. Think about God. Stand in awe before him and realize how just and righteous he is. We come to the second point. Ask yourself, is your anger justified? Are your plans God's plans? Are your ways his ways? What has God promised us? He has promised us eternal life, hasn't he? Has he not also promised us the forgiveness of sins and peace of mind and rest and eternal well-being? And ask yourself again, is he not going to grant those things to you? Isn't he doing that right now? What more do you want out of life? Think, do you deserve any of it? Has he not already given you a foretaste of the tremendous riches that await you in the life hereafter, he gives you spiritual blessings as well as material blessings. For look at what you've already got. He gives you food every day, again and again, three times a day, as much as your little heart desires. He gives you shelter. He gives you clothing. He gives you life. And every day that he gives you life here on this earth is a gift from him. And you do not deserve it. What more do you want? You are not worthy of any of it. Why not? Because you stand condemned before God because of your many sins. And yet he gives it to you. And now David says, though you tremble, sin not. For that is the actual meaning of the words of our text, to be angry. The American Standard Bible also uses that translation. And the King James Version tells us to stand in awe. Indeed, in the midst of calamities, you must stand in awe before the Lord your God, And you must seek your well-being before him. When something quite unexpected happens, when life deals you a blow that you do not 
expect, when you think it is unfair, then the Lord God says, when you are on your bed, be silent. Search your heart and consider your God. Stand in awe of your almighty creator and be silent. He is the one who made all things. He is the one who is in control of all things. And his plans never come to naught. Only his ways are straight. Your ways are crooked. You puny creature. How dare you call his justice into question? How dare you call God into account? And that is why the beginning of this psalm is so beautiful. He begins the psalm by saying, Answer me when I call, O my righteous God. It actually says, O God of my righteousness, God of my justice. David knows what an almighty and wonderful God he has. And that is why the statement he makes about himself is so greatly significant. He says in verse 3, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. No doubt David will have struggled with God in order to come to that statement. For such insight can only come after a constant struggle. For what happens when calamity strikes? What happens when we are confronted with our sin? Well, brothers and sisters, when calamity strikes, that's when we stand, so to speak, naked before God. For then we are robbed of our dignity. We ask ourselves how we stand in relationship to him. For we feel ourselves at times like that quite vulnerable. And then we grieve and struggle with God and cry out to him, What are you doing, O Lord God? Help me to understand. What are you trying to tell me? What, if anything, are you trying to teach me? Do you still love me? And those are all the kinds of questions Asaph was asking in Psalm 77. In the verses 6 and following, he asks, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? Do you see how confused and wounded and vulnerable Asaph confesses himself to be? Because of his troubles, he feels the anger of God descending upon him. His unfortunate circumstances make him feel the heat of God's anger. And indeed, that's how he is supposed to feel. That is how we are all to feel when adversity strikes us. For because of our sin, the Lord continues to warn us about his great fury. He continues to warn us that we deserve his eternal anger in hell. And that is why his anger of which we receive an inkling when calamity strikes us, always invites us to change. It invites us to examine ourselves and invites us to examine God. 
And that is why we should not so easily pass over our own anger. No, God says, deal with it. Search your own heart upon your beds. Think. Think what it is all about. Sometimes we're also angry at others. Most often our anger is wrong. Most often our anger is sinful. For human anger tends to want to devour others who stand in our way. And that is why James says in chapter 1 verse 20, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. But there is an anger that is righteous. It is when we come to the realization for ourselves that we need to change. That we need to change our attitude. Our attitude is sinful. We do not trust God in the way that we should. We are afraid that we are going to have to change our lifestyle because of the things we lost. And then we have to allow ourselves to be confronted with that sin and change. And when we are angry with ourselves in our way, then that is a righteous anger. For it is an anger directed against our own sin. And then we have to go to God for forgiveness. Righteous anger also comes about when we are concerned about others and want them to change. When we confront someone with his or her sin and tell him of the awful consequences if he remains in that sin. Our anger then reflects the anger of God. It is only minuscule compared to God's anger. Our pounding on the table, which because of our human sinful nature, though righteous and fraught with weakness and imperfections, is nothing compared to the great fury of God. But our anger nevertheless must be an invitation to our brother or sister in the Lord to change or else be doomed. It is an invitation to look God square into fa- in the face and to make one struggle. That's also what Asaph did. And because he struggled with God and because he was willing to be confronted with his sin and his total dependence on God, he could come to the statement in verse 11 of that same psalm, Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. What is the greatest miracle the Lord God has done for his people, for you and me? It is this, that he sent his son in the flesh to withstand the anger of God because of our sins. So that we can live. Oh sure, the Old Testament believer lived before the coming of the Messiah. But... The Old Testament believer lived out of the promise of his coming. All the Old Testament feats, all the temple worship looked forward to the Messiah. The true believer fully understood that in no way he could withstand the anger of God. But now you and I more fully understand 
the Messiah did come. And God visited his full fury on his son. He made him drink the bitter cup of his anger. He forsook his beloved son. He turned his face away from him as he hung on the cross. He despised him because of the great wrath he felt because of our terrible sinfulness. And it is that fury, it is that anger, brothers and sisters, that we never have to face if you believe in him. What a wonderful comfort. Brothers and sisters, stand in awe before your God and know his ways. Know that whatever adversity comes upon you in this life, it is a reminder of God's anger because of sin. It is to tell you that you are dependent on him and on him alone. It is to teach you that earthly things are only temporary It is to remind you that you must constantly examine yourself and to repent. What is important in your life? Material things? They're nothing. God wants to remind you what an awesome God you have and how richly he deals with his covenant children, how richly he deals with you and with me. But it is also reminded that if we repent and believe that then he is no longer angry with us because of our sins because he visited his wrath upon his own son for your sakes. Congregation, though you tremble, sin not. Do not be angry. Put it all into perspective. Think. Think about yourself. Think about God in the light of the scriptures, in the light of the way he deals compassionately with his people. And once you have done that, you can be silent. Your anxiety can be gone. Your shaking will cease. Quiet will come over you. You can sleep again. God's not angry with you because you are his child. You cry to him, and he answers you. What a comfort for the believer, and what a wonderful God we have. Amen.